0: And my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it.
1: We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal. You know that. Fire!
0: Just like last time. But states like
1: Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly
0: important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One of state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Joseph a Philly girl when I'm a screen We received lots of feedback on where we should take Pennsylvania's first political podcast. Our first season unpackaged the 2020 election going in-depth, region by region. Our second season was an intense whirlwind where we profiled unique candidates on the November ballot. For our third season, with lots of feedback, we're going to focus intensively on redistricting. Every one of our 6,000 listeners is somehow affected by the way legislative lines are drawn. For the next 10 years, we only get one shot at this. I'm excited to kick off our third season of PA Kitchen Table Politics with Carol Cooneyholm. She's built an incredible grassroots army, it's elevated awareness in unprecedented ways, and I'm looking forward to learning about how she got started and what her hopes are for fair districts across the Commonwealth. What makes this place particularly interesting, however, is that the width of the property line is actually the width of the 7th Congressional District. It's one of the examples of how gerrymandering works, where the lines are drawn in such a way to connect very disparate parts
1: of uh, the district.
0: Carol Cunningham, welcome to my kitchen table.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, Carol, thank you for the work you're doing. We're in the final stretch of five-year journey with lots of twists and turns, but maybe share with listeners a little bit of uh, uh, the highlights of uh, of that and how you got, uh, got started.
1: Yeah, actually, I guess I'd say started maybe six years ago because in 2015, I became vice president for government and social policy for the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania. And in that capacity was invited to a meeting with Senator Lisa Bascola and senators and representatives and policy staff who had introduced redistricting bills over the last decade before that. And they wanted to draft a bill to put an independent redistricting commission in place but they very much wanted to be on the same page with each other and wanted advocacy groups to support it. And I was told at that meeting, this won't happen unless advocacy groups are very loud. And I was still trying to understand what gerrymandering was, was trying to understand what an independent commission was, and was really trying to understand how advocates could be loud on something that legislators themselves couldn't get done.
0: Well, thank you. So Senator Buskell is from, from my home region, the Lehigh Valley, but why don't we take a step even Farther back, more than five or six years, tell folks a little about your background, where's home for you, how were you thrown into this uh, this whirlwind?
1: Yeah, I had nothing to do with politics. I actually have a PhD in American Lit from the University of Pennsylvania, stayed home for 10 years with kids. And then when I went back to work, ended up becoming a full-time youth pastor because I had gotten really interested in, in kids and what kids are dealing with. As a youth pastor, I worked for a church in an affluent area of Chester County, but we had a partner church in Kensington in Philadelphia, one of the most under-resourced communities in the state. And I was appalled to discover that the kids in my area had great libraries, great auditoriums, great music programs, great art programs. The kids in Kensington had none of that. They had no full-time counselors, no full-time nurses, no librarians, no libraries. So when I left youth ministry, I set out on a quest to understand why that was, and all roads pointed to Harrisburg. And then I tried to understand what's going on in Harrisburg, and that led me to the word gerrymandering and this quest to end it.
0: So I should back up. I apologize. I should refer to you as a Reverend Doctor.
1: No, no, no. I'm not. Well, I'm not a reverend. I'm not ordained, um, but I am a doctor. But I gave up on that when I went into youth ministry. Kids don't really like calling their youth pastors doctor, so um, <laughs> I gave up that a long time ago.
0: Tell listeners what was uh, what was the PhD on? And uh, uh, congrats, I mean, University of Pennsylvania. That's uh, not too too shabby.
1: Yeah, so it's American lit and I think that's part of what has ignited my energy on this because I spent so many years kind of digging into the the early documents of of American history and spent lots of hours at the the libraries in Philadelphia and the vision of an educated populace was huge in the founding of our country and then to think that the same city had that had the first free library in the country the same city where all of these important documents of our nation's history are, they reside there. To think that that same city can't give its kids libraries in their schools, I still get angry. I can't I can't help myself. It just makes me angry. So I think my my start in, in American Lit has been part of this journey, but my work with those kids in those under-resourced neighborhoods is what really keeps me moving.
0: Let's, let's just touch on that. You know, it's I think it's incredible to a lot of folks, it seems like every four years, you know, we have, we have journalists that come into Southeast Pennsylvania, and they treat it like this exotic safari. But it's incredible, really, that in, as the crow flies just less than 35 miles, the diversity from what you're referring to of the exurbs of Chester County, even working farms uh, to just intense, intense poverty uh, in Kensington. So how did that partnership begin? Uh, it's just not often that you hear that sounds very special.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's an Episcopal church, and I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, our church began partnerships with with churches in the Kensington area, realizing that they had less resources and our church had lots of resources. We also have a partnership, had a partnership in North Dakota with Standing Rock Reservation, Churches, so so our church and we have partnerships in Africa and South America. Our church is pretty big on partnering with communities that have less resources financially, but have rich resources spiritually. And it's it's really shaped a lot of the kids in our church spending time with kids from such different backgrounds. So so the program that I really got involved with was leading a, a every summer trip with our kids from our Paoli Church to spend a week in Kensington with the kids there and do a program, an outreach program for those kids. So all these kids working together, living together, eating together, talking together about schools. Um, That's that's really where my um, political awareness was forged, just listening to those kids and their the sadness of the kids who don't have those resources and trying to understand why do these other kids, (laughs) why do these other kids get to, you know, have these amazing, amazing things. And we can't even get textbooks that aren't ripped and aren't 30 years old. So listening to those kids talk was, was a big, a big piece of my, of my journey. Well,
0: let's take the journey back to uh, the last few years. So you have that meeting with Senator Bosco and other Harrisburg stakeholders, and then what happens?
1: So I, I started asking around who has been working on this. And I discovered that there were folks with the League of Women Voters, with Common Cause PA, with other groups that had been studying it for years. But when I asked what's the plan, I discovered there was not an advocacy plan. It was just, well, we'll, we'll let people know what's going on. It's like, well, can we do more than that? And so December of 2015, I um, started talking about convening a meeting and putting together a coalition that would focus more attention on it. Because it seemed like if we didn't do it immediately, then we would run out of time. And in past decades, I mean, the League of Women Voters has been working on this since the 1980s, but often starts too late and really didn't have the the outreach and advocacy tools that we have now. Think about, you know, we've got social media, Zoom has been a big part of this. So, so lots of different tools that are more available now. And um, as a youth pastor, i gotten really familiar with social media tools and organizing diverse groups of people. And so my goal was to pull organizations together. And so in January of 2016, we started Fair Districts PA. I actually built our first website by myself that over the holidays that, you know, the, the holidays of 2015, I have a, a son who is savvy about websites, and he and I spent some time talking about how would we do this and so I built our first website, put together a Facebook page, and we launched it in January of 2016. Fair Districts PA, and it had to be a short name. We had folks saying, "Oh, let's let's call it Pennsylvania Redistricting Coalition." I was like, "It's got to be, you know, it's got to be something short that will work on Twitter." So Fair Districts PA was the name that that emerged.
0: Well, before we go any deeper, give this is obviously this is nonpartisan. Give folks a sense of of the funding and the structure. I, I assume it's a nonprofit, or maybe it's uh, affiliated and registered under another nonprofit.
1: We are a fiscal project of the League of Women Voters. When we started, there were a number of different organizations that were part of the launch of Fair Districts PA and pretty quickly realized we needed some way to, uh, people were asking, how can I contribute? And it's like, I don't know. So um, the League of Women Voters very graciously agreed to be the fiscal sponsor so that people could make contributions to the league in, and then that money would be used for Fair Districts PA. That's been the case ever since. We are completely nonpartisan, completely nonprofit, and completely volunteer, staffed, and led. So we are all volunteers. I'm a volunteer. Everybody who works with Fair Districts PA, except a little administrative support from the league, as part of their fiscal sponsorship. Everything else, we are all volunteers. And we're, we're funded by people in Pennsylvania who care, who are deeply concerned about the state of our democracy, who are furious that we've had decades of gerrymandered districts. And the only outside grant we've ever had was in 2018, we got a $25,000 grant from the, Ben and Jerry's employee uh, employee foundation to help us do grassroots organizing in rural parts of Pennsylvania. They were offering grants to organizations organizing in rural areas, and we said, "Yep, we're going to do that." And they gave us twenty five thousand dollars to help us do things like have tables at county fairs or to pay to rent library basements to do informational meetings. We've done over a thousand informational meetings in every single corner of Pennsylvania, attended by over 42,000 people in the last five years.
0: Wow. Okay. But who's counting? That's incredible.
1: Yeah, we are counting. We've got, we've got a, a great team of volunteer speakers. And uh, you know we've got an outreach coordinator who sets it all up and, and makes sure that we all report back where we spoke and how many people showed up.
0: Well, Carol, I'll tell you that, that your, your volunteer outreach folks, I think within a week or so of us launching this podcast, the first of its kind podcast about Pennsylvania politics, they were already pinging me and, and saying, we got to get you on. So uh, as we're launching this third and 10th season uh, devoted to uh, to these issues, I couldn't think of a better person to start with. Um, okay. So the I think a lot of listeners remember back to 2017, 2018 congressional midterm elections, all of a sudden a curveball's thrown with congressional maps. So tell folks a little about uh, how your organization reacted uh, to that. Yeah, and the, I would also imagine that it's just, with everything that was happening in the political maelstrom in Pennsylvania, 2016, 2017, was it difficult to get people focused? But, you know, let's go back to those years.
1: Yeah. So we started as a coalition of organizations. And by late 2016, I had people contacting me through our website and through our Facebook page saying, how can I help? What, you know, are what are you doing in Philly? What are you doing in in Indiana County, what do you You know, I was like, I, this was not what I would, you know, I wasn't thinking we would be a local organ. I was thinking we'd be a statewide coalition of organizations. And then as people were saying, I started having a, um, a weekly conference call. The first one I had was on a Monday afternoon at four and there were 40 people who called in and I said, Ooh, maybe if I did it in the evening, we'd get more. So the next, and this was in December, December of 2016. So just a, just a few weeks after the 2016 election, People were were just demanding to know more. And I was getting so many emails. I just thought, I can't keep up with that. I'll just say, hey, I'm having a conference call. The second one I had was on a Thursday night, a couple of weeks before the holidays, and had 70 people call in. All just saying, what are, you know, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And so one of those folks was in Philadelphia. He said, well, what are you doing in Philadelphia? I said, what should we be doing? I don't have a, you know, it's like, I don't know. And he said, well, can we have a meeting in Philadelphia where you explain what this is and why it matters? And I said, sure, let's do that. You find a venue, you or, you know, bring your, you know, you get folks there. I'll use our social media to get folks there. And uh, January, I think it was January 24th of 2017. It's kind of a legendary meeting. This guy named Keith Forsyth lives in Philly. He had arranged to use the Arch Street United Methodist Church, a block from City Hall. I had said, find a venue that holds about 100 people because I'm pretty nervous about talking to more than 100 people. And he's like, well, can we do 200? I said, well, that would be stretching it, but I could, yes, for the cause, sure. I got there that night and I realized this is a, big church. This holds more than 200 people. And I went inside and it was already half full 15 minutes before, and it ended up people standing around the back. So there were probably 850, 900 people there that night. And it kind of- Oh my goodness. This is December, 2016? Yeah. Yeah. So so January, 2017. And in fact, uh, President Trump was in the city for some event. There were several large political events taking place that night, but over 800 people showed up at that church and you know, I had a rickety card table and projector I had borrowed from the League of Women Voters and struggling with my (laughs) hyperventilation, which happened. I I was very nervous about speaking in front of groups at that time. I'm, I'm way past that now. But from that, we started six working groups in Philly that are still active now. And a group of professional web designers approached me after a few weeks later, contacted me and said, we've been looking at your website, lots of really good information not really sticky. Um, Would you mind if we designed a new website for you all for free? And it's a kind of project that would usually take about two years and probably 20 or $30,000, but we'll do it for you in two months because we know this is really a time sensitive issue and we'll work late at night and we'll do it for free. Um, So our current website was designed. Everything that we do is done by volunteers and our website was designed and is maintained by volunteers. And that all started then. And then we had a series of of meetings in high schools, that the high school would be full. I spoke at a library. Um, it was, people weren't allowed in. And so we had quickly planned a meeting a week later in the same area at a high school, and that was packed. People just wanted to know. People felt like something is broken. We don't know what it is. And gerrymandering seemed like a big piece of it. And so we grew really fast with people who just said, we want to understand why it's so partisan, why we don't feel like we're being heard, why this is so off course, and what we can do about it. And so after every single meeting, people would come to me and say, okay, now that I understand this, what am I going to do? How do I help? And we have, you know, volunteers who suggested different ways to do things. And every time they did, I'd say, if you're willing to help, let's do it. So that's really how we grew. We grew really quickly. We've had over 100,000 people sign petitions. We've got an email list of 60,000. We've got a volunteer list of 5,000 people who consider themselves hardcore fair districts folks. Um, And we're all over the state. And that's kind of how we got started.
0: That's excellent. So with that that news that shook the political, it was just a political earthquake with the 2018 congressional uh, maps, did that Result in some rejiggering uh, or even maybe a shot in the arm of energy? uh.
1: So actually, that lawsuit came out of conversations within Fair Districts PA, our coalition. League of Women Voters, who was the main plaintiff in that lawsuit, obviously is our fiscal sponsor. Public Interest Law Center was one of the founding members of Fair Districts PA. And as as we went through 2016 and early 2017 and looked at, there was a lawsuit taking place in Wisconsin on the efficiency gap the question had always been, how do you measure gerrymandering? How do you prove that it's taking place? And there had never been really good measures that had held up in court. But there was a case in Wisconsin that held up in state court using the efficiency gap. And and when members of our coalition, including those two organizations, looked at that lawsuit, they said, according to the efficiency gap, Pennsylvania is by far more gerrymandered than Wisconsin. And if that lawsuit can make it in state court in Wisconsin, we ought to try here in Pennsylvania. And the Public Interest Law Center, the the kind of the legal entity behind that lawsuit, looked at our state constitution, said, we have better protections for free and equal elections in our state constitution than exist in the the federal constitution. And we have far worse gerrymandering than Wisconsin. Let's, Let's appeal to the state constitution. Let's appeal to the state courts and the League of Women Voters was the primary plaintiff, and there were plaintiffs from every congressional district. So we watched that with great attention. And the fact of the the new congressional districts that were put in place in 2018, Pennsylvania went from 13-5, a locked in, entrenched, no way to shake it, advantage to Republicans, even in elections where Democrats cast more than half the votes. So we had talked about that from the start to say, look at this. Even when Democrats cast more than half the votes, Republicans get 13 out of 18 seats. And we had pointed to something called Red Map 2010, which talked about gerrymandering in Pennsylvania in 2001 and, and then bragged about doing an even better job in 2011. As Pennsylvania lost a seat, Republicans gained two seats because of their extreme gerrymandering of our state so so we had watched that carefully after the 2018 election we went from 13-5 to 9-9 which is what it should be and for the first time ever have more than two women in in congress four four women still not equity but but those locked in districts before had been crafted for specific people by specific people and to hold on to partisan advantage. So that was people had said, "Oh, well the maps don't really matter, you know, it's just the way Pennsylvania votes." And those those new districts proved beyond question that maps matter. That if you can draw new maps and go from 135 to 99, that means maps matter. So there were people who who said, "Well, we don't understand what's happening here," but there were many, many, many people who looked at that and said, "Okay, maps really do matter. We need to we need to work even harder." to address this, but not just congressional districts, our state legislative districts are among the worst in the country. And when people saw, if we can change that at the congressional side, so that we actually are heard, so we actually have competitive elections, so we actually can choose who's going to represent us, Um, that has really energized even more people to look at the legislative districts as well.
0: Well, thanks uh, for giving folks that background. I am reminded when you were saying that I had a friend somewhat crudely in Washington a few years back saying I could spit on the floor and it would be more contiguous than some of the districts in your home state. But so let's 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 jump ahead uh, to the last few months. Uh, I think everyone had a sense that Pennsylvania uh, had lost population over the last decade and it became a fit.
1: We haven't lost population. We have not kept pace. And growing as fast as other states. so
0: uh, important, important distinction as we take a look uh, down, down south, but we have enough water. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Uh, okay, not, not, neither here nor there. So the last few months, the writing was somewhat on the wall, then the census made it official. Tell folks uh, what, what this amazing grassroots army that you uh, uh, are steering has been up to.
1: Well, we were trying to get an independent commission in place. That means changing the state constitution, really, really hard to do for a group like ours in Pennsylvania. And that's what the, you know, the the legislators basically were saying, unless advocates are really loud, the leaders are never going to give up power. And we were really loud. We got more co-sponsors on our bill than any other in the 2017, 2018 session. Um, Our bills got gutted. They got buried under amendments. It didn't happen. We tried again 2019, 2020, again, had more co-sponsors than uh, only maybe one other bill had more co-sponsors than ours. Again, bills got gutted, they got amended, they got buried, didn't happen. So then we started working on a bill to put better guidelines in place. Again, that didn't happen. And yet, because there's so much public attention on this, um, we do think we will get better maps. There's some Good checks and balances. Number one, we've got the we've got the precedent from the the lawsuit, uh, the 2017-2018 lawsuit. So the court was really clear that uh, Pennsylvanians have a right to free and equal elections. And they looked at various tests for gerrymandering and acknowledged that there are ways to prove it. And the Public Interest Law Center and the League proved it. And so so that puts a good check on future really outrageous gerrymandering. Uh, also for the congressional maps. That is done as a bill. So the state legislature passes it as a bill and then the governor can sign it. For 40 years in Pennsylvania, the governor has been the same party as the legislature. But because we've had such a gerrymandered legislature, legislative districts, that is no longer the case. So the governor is Democrat, the, the legislature is Republican, and he can veto a, a bill that gives too much power to the Republican party, which he has signaled he will do. He Um, put together an advisory council of people who really understand the mapping process. And the people who are drawing the map are very aware. If they step over the line, the governor will veto it, at which point it will go to the court. And the court will appoint a special master as they did in 2018. So we're expecting a, a pretty evenly balanced congressional map. For the state house and Senate, that's a different process. It's a five person commission. My majority leaders and minority leaders from both House and Senate. The fifth person is really the deciding vote. And that fifth person this time around is a law professor from the University of Pittsburgh. He was uh, chancellor at Pitt for years. He's really well-respected as a person who believes in the law, who believes in government of and by and for the people, and who has done his best to signal that he is not doing it the way it's been done in the past He's planning to give us a map that is much more reflective of the people of Pennsylvania and much more fair. So we're hopeful. We still have not seen any of the maps. We um, hope they'll be available soon. The process for the state House and Senate requires that the people of Pennsylvania get 30 days to review that map it needs to be available soon because we're heading towards the deadlines and the congressional side there's no requirement that the people be able to see it in the la- in the past they've really not seen it until it's already a done deal but we've asked the governor not even to sign it if people haven't had a chance to review it and to say you know this works for us or you know they've split us up badly we don't know we have no indication from the legislature what their timeline is or if they're gonna allow public review, but we do hope for better maps.
0: When you said, uh, when you were referring to, uh, to Mark Nordenberg, the of, by, and for the people, uh, I, I just love the phrasing of your organization. Uh, n- number one, fair districts, suggesting that it really is unfair uh, what Pennsylvanians and folks uh, in many states have been living with. And then the other phrasing is that electoral districts belong to all of us, meaning they don't belong to someone who's been in Harrisburg for a generation. So I'm just kind of curious. I mean, this is this. It, maybe it's semantics. Maybe it's just. But the 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 wording is so so special. So going back five six years ago, was that kind of formulated? Were you were you kind of hearing as you were going around the Commonwealth from different folks, or did you go into this saying we're going to cast this and frame this as fair versus unfair?
1: The Fair Districts PA came out of watching work done in Ohio and Florida. There was a Fair Districts Ohio before us, a Fair Districts Florida. And I talked to the folks there about what they've been doing. And and really the, the issue was what we have is is colossally unfair and it yields a government that is unfair. So remember the thing that brought me to this is unfair school funding. We have one of the most inequitable school funding models in the country. Right now there's a fair school funding lawsuit <laughs> taking place here in Pennsylvania that's been brewing for seven years. So, so that sense of what we have is not fair to us, the districts aren't fair, the legislative process is not fair. How do we get back to something that that really is essentially fair to us? So that word was, was there from the very beginning. The government of by and for the people was a phrase that um, Barry Kaufman of Common Cause PA pointed to regularly that gerrymandering made it impossible. To have government of by and for the people because it was government of by and for the the legislative leaders and that's what we've had in pennsylvania for a very long time and we are kind of the birthplace of government of by and for the people here in the us and we are far far from that so so those two phrases there's one other phrase that that showed up on a sign we had a a very large rally in harrisburg um, in 20 i believe it was a 2018 the largest rally people had seen in at least a decade and somebody up up on one of the high um, balconies had a sign that said, not red, not blue, just fair. And uh, somebody took a photo of that. And we all said that is, that has been kind of one of our key phrases ever since. We, you know, people try to brand us as one party or the other, depending on, on what they want to see happen. And we're like, no, this is not about Republican or Democrat. This is simply about being fair. You know, having a system, whether you're red, whether you're blue, whether you're green, whether you're purple, it needs to be fair. And we all need a voice. We all need a stake. We all need a part. Um, So that's another one of our our hashtags.
0: Well, Carol, thank you so much. You've been super generous with your time as we wind down. We have crossed over 6,000 listeners. I don't know if we have any in Ohio, but they certainly are not fair. I've casually followed what's happened uh, in recent weeks out there, but uh, I'll leave that to someone in in Columbus or elsewhere to to talk about that. Uh, So In a matter of days, really, we're going to find out uh, all of Pennsylvania, all of Washington and other observers are going to find out about this. What happens then for you personally? What happens for this amazing uh, grassroots uh, movement that you've built?
1: That's a really good question. We are discussing that. I mean, certainly we will continue to watch this process play out. We'll be very actively involved in making sure we do end up with fair maps, whatever, whatever work that takes in the next few months. But then we've discovered lots of issues behind the issues, legislative rules that are completely rigged to put all the power in the hands of just a few people elected in just a few districts and by far the large percentage of our legislators. We've got the largest, uh, one of the largest legislatures in the country. And most of those, somebody said, I could be a paperweight and get as much done as I do now, because they have no say in what bills pass. So we've focused very heavily on legislative rules, but there's other issues surrounding all of this that we'll be working on. We'll, We'll obviously do some soul searching once we get past the mapping process to see where can we be most effective in helping restore government of by and for the people of Pennsylvania? And I would say, um, encourage folks to look at our, our website, FairDistrictsPA.com, as I said, constructed by volunteers, maintained by volunteers, but people can join there and get emails, updates. One of the things we've, we've done really hard, we've worked hard to help people realize Advocacy has to happen in the moment. It's not okay to find out about an issue three weeks later. If they're pushing a judicial gerrymandering bill, which they did last winter, you need to know that the day it's happening. So you need to be on our, on our email list. So you get an email saying contact your legislator or contact this person or that. We are very big on um, advocacy in the moment and we use our website not to, I mean, our, our email list not to invite donations because we, we're fine on money. We don't spend much, but we really want people to understand the issue and be ready to speak up loudly when the moment comes. And as you've learned, they'll speak up in lots of directions um, on behalf of this issue. We've, we are not shy about speaking out to uh, get back to government of, by, and for the people.
0: Well, Dr. Pastor Carol Kuhnholm, thank you so much for taking the time and the, the, the home stretch here. We're all crossing fingers that it's going to be fair. I think it's going to be infinitely fairer the next door in Ohio, but thanks so much.
1: Sure. Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania kitchen table politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing. And while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback. So drop us a note via our website, papoliticspodcast.org and a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this
1: is Pennsylvania kitchen table politics.